From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. So second week of the legislative session, we would usually be talking about education politics, and there is education politics that we will get to, but I think we've got to start with the story of the day, not just the story of the day in Idaho education, but really the story of the day nationally, the uh, the rollout of the coronavirus vaccines and how that's affecting uh, how that's affecting people and how that's affecting lives across the nation and how it's affecting uh, teachers right here in Idaho. We foreshadowed that we do a story like this. Clark, you went and did it this week, uh, talked to some teachers about their their vaccine stories, really personal stories, really compelling personal stories in that piece. So I I encourage readers to go to idahoitnews.org and, and read the story in full. But you know, let's talk about it and, and talk about kind of your reporting this week. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Kevin. If if readers want to, or if our listeners want to get caught up, like you said, they can go to the homepage. We published it on Thursday. The headline is One Step Closer to Normal, Teachers Line Up for the COVID Vaccine. And that really um, was reflective of my experience this week. I was able to talk to teachers from all over the state of Idaho, from all regions of the state, talk with public school teachers, private school teachers, teachers from a charter school. And I, and I asked them just to kind of walk me through their own personal decision with the vaccine, right? The big news earlier in the month, the big news last week was that Governor Little and state health and welfare officials moved up teachers uh, to the top priority group, along with frontline first responders. Uh, so right now where we stand uh, in January, teachers are at the front of the line for the COVID vaccine, and, and I can, I mean, and they're lining up. up. Yeah, they've already got it. I, I can report that um, at a minimum, fourteen hundred Idaho teachers either have received the first dose or have an appointment to receive the first dose, and the number is likely much, much higher sure, than that. But the, what we can confirm that at a minimum. But what I did is is using. Uh, social media, I was able to connect with teachers all across the state, and I just asked them to share their decision about the vaccine. I wasn't looking, uh, you know, for, you know, that that's basically how I approached it. Tell me about your decision for the vaccine. And I left it open and I and I left it for them uh, to tell me. And, and I chose to lead the story with Lakeside High School teacher Brian Marceau, who connected with me over Twitter. He was actually one of the first teachers in Idaho to get the vaccine. He teaches at Lakeside High School that's up in Plummer Worley and he found out on January 5th at a staff meeting that a tribal clinic on the Coeur d'Alene Indian Reservation had been prioritizing the vaccine for its elders but it had a few excess doses and it wanted to make those available to teachers in Plummer Worley. And for Marceau he told me he couldn't get on the phone fast enough. He found out about that at a staff meeting at 3.20. He was on the phone three minutes later. He was able to get in the next day and get vaccinated. And it, he was just so excited. He told me that he's been, he's part of a higher risk population. And so he told me that he's been taking the pandemic extremely seriously for the last year. And he told me, quote, it wasn't a decision that I was stressed out about to get the vaccine. The stress I had was how quickly can I get it? And I was able to connect with teachers all over from the state. And 
you know, they shared uh, those stories with me and it was kind of an uplifting project to, to work on um, this week. Uh, I talked to a teacher from Blackfoot Community Learning Charter Center um, and her name is Jamie Bertowski and she actually has a little bit of a unique circumstance. She got COVID-19 in December and she's going to get the vaccine soon um, but right now she's holding off because she talked with her doctors and her body is producing antibodies and so what she's doing right now is she's donating plasma while she has those antibodies. She told me that her brother uh, had been hospitalized a few years ago. Uh, his lung collapsed and he was in need of plasma injections. And so ever since that point, Jamie has known that there was a shortage of plasma donors and she's always uh, tried to do that. So she talked with her doctors and when her antibody levels drop, she's going to get the vaccine. But for now, uh, she's donating her plasma. And so I just met really interesting Teachers, you know, there's almost 20,000 teachers across the state of Idaho, um, and I connected with just a small number of them, but they all had an interesting story to tell. I talked with Heidi McJunkin, who teaches at a Montessori school, Snake River Montessori School in Idaho Falls. That's a, a private school, and even though they're not part of one of the large school districts in Idaho Falls, they didn't fall through the cracks. Eastern Idaho Public Health reached out to them. And Heidi McJunkin um, and a co-worker went and got the vaccine on January 15th. And she just talking with her, she was so relieved. She said, I figure I'm one step closer and our school is one step closer to being normal because this is just so, so very hard on our kids. And so she's looking forward to life after the pandemic. And, and, and these teachers I talked to, they understand that this is kind of a... a one step closer type of a deal, but they're looking forward uh, to things rather than dwelling on um, on what they're going through right now. Heidi told me, I'm ready to get rid of this mask and I hope everybody else can get the vaccine and can do it too. You know, we can get out of this. And so it was just really cool, but I wanted to, I didn't just want to say, you know, in this school district, there were X number of teachers who got the vaccine and blah, blah, blah. There is a little bit of that information in there. You know, the Idaho Falls School District did something cool and another a number of other districts are doing this where they're basically using their gym and they're partnering with a public health district to come in and do vaccine clinics. I think Idaho Falls um, got 600 teachers in their district uh, vaccinated just last weekend alone through those clinics. But I have a little bit of that in, in this story, but I really just wanted people to tell me their personal decisions. You know, what was it like? I talked to Jeff Thomas, the superintendent of the Madison School District, uh, who was excited to get the vaccine. He said he did his research, and because of doing the research and talking with a doctor, uh, he found that the vaccines for Pfizer and Moderna both had 95% effectiveness rates. He said that was extremely high. And so Jeff Thomas got the vaccine. They set up a Facebook Live on the school district's Facebook page as part of a clinic. And I've got that picture uh, in the story. Yeah, and, and, and they streamed yeah. it. And and he said, you know, hey, it, it, it didn't hurt too bad. It wasn't, you know, for Jeff's experience, he said it wasn't even as bad as a normal flu shot. And he had a little soreness in his upper arm for a couple of hours. One other teacher I talked to, experienced, you know, mild side effects for about 24 hours, a little soreness and some chills. 
uh, but that individual was part of a higher risk population and, and knew to expect maybe um, to have side effects for about 24 hours. But I really wanted people to just share their personal stories because, Kevin, it is such a personal decision. And you and I were just talking before we turned on the microphone that we're seeing these vaccine rollout all around us. We know people who are getting it. It's like you said, every time you look on, on Facebook, uh, you see somebody's selfie uh, with their little card uh, saying they got the vaccine or, or getting the shot in their arm. And so we're seeing that play out. And so I just wanted to share some of those personal stories. That's kind of where I went. I, I think what I enjoyed about the story so much, Clark, was that, yes, it, it felt to me like an extension of what I'm seeing on my on my Facebook feed and what I'm seeing in my day-to-day -day life, the, the stories of, of people who are who are getting that first vaccine or that second vaccine in some cases and, and are getting a sense of hope back into their lives. And, you know, I don't know when my turn will come. I don't know where we are in the pecking order. Um, and, and at this point in my, my life, this is just, you know, Citizen Kevin, I'm just so happy when I see people, you know, you know, sharing that sense of relief, sharing that sense of uh, being able to look to the future. I mean, you know, I'm looking forward to that day for myself, but I don't feel envious when I, you know, when I see, you know, teacher friends or first responder friends uh, posting it. I mean, it just, so it connects on a personal level. I mean, you know, I was in a Zoom meeting Wednesday night with a, uh, with a teacher friend in, in the West Data District, and, you know, I asked her, so have you gotten in? And she's like, oh, yeah, I got in on Saturday. I couldn't wait. And she was beaming. I mean, she's she's kind of a beaming person anyway, but even by her standards, she was just overjoyed, over the moon, excited that she was able to get in. I got a text the other day from a family member who has an appointment and you know, will get the first vaccine this weekend. And, you know, that story is just playing out on a daily basis in our lives. And, and it is a, uh, you know, you know, based on the science, you know, the 95% effectiveness rate that uh, Jeff Thomas was talking about, that we've heard the, uh, the manufacturers talking about, you know, you know, to, to have that story of hope unfolding, you know, even though we know that, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing people, you know, you know, passing away to, because of this virus and, and frightening numbers, we're seeing some hope too. And that's what I really enjoyed about the story is that I feel like it kind of personalized the story and there was education policy at the end. It looks like districts are generally leaving this to employees to figure out what to do, uh, not requiring the vaccine, but encouraging and allowing that to be a, a personal decision. But really the, the personal story was what uh, really carried this this story for me. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, I certainly felt that reporting that I, I know you know this because you've lived this for the last 10 months. And I think the people who listen to our podcast pick up on this, but it, it's been challenging to be a reporter at this time because so much is so difficult, right? And I'm telling those stories and those stories are important to tell. But a lot of times the people I talk to, you know, uh, have gone through a lot or lost a lot. And it's, it's hard, you know, kind of doing that. Uh, but then I work on this story this week. I talked to Janelle Warnock, who teaches at West Junior High School in Boise. She got her first dose of the vaccine, and she told me, quote, I've been a teacher for 28 years, and I'm here because I love sharing my love of literature and writing with my students. Getting this vaccine 
allows me to continue doing what I love. I, I mean, give me more of that, please. Like that was so that was so cool talking to her and talking to everybody else. And the way it worked out, um, I didn't ask people, you know, hey, if you've got the vaccine, come talk to me. Hey, talk to me if you haven't got the vaccine. I said, just tell me your story. I didn't preface it with whether you've done it or not. And, and it just so happened that um, all of the teachers and all the superintendents I talked to, they had all gotten the vaccine or were getting the vaccine. I didn't talk to anybody who told me they were not going to get the vaccine. I know there's people out there who've declined the vaccine. I know the Idaho Falls School District has surveyed its employees and found that about 15% of the staff who responded to their survey said they're not interested in getting the vaccine. But everyone I talked to said they got it or they're getting it. And they were so excited to do it. And so, yeah, that was a cool story. You can check that out at the homepage. Some of the policies in there, uh, the districts I talked to kind of breaks out at the bottom. Nobody had a policy requiring the vaccine, although many of the districts were encouraging it. Um, and I also have just a couple of, of hard news pieces in there that we got throughout the week, but it's likely going to be impossible to know how many teachers get the vaccine overall or how many opt out. And that's because the state um, by statute collects limited information on the people who are vaccinated and the dose they receive. And a lot of that demographic information, such as race or occupation, is not part of the records that are kept. And I know that sounds a little no. unusual because we're rolling it out based on jobs, uh, at least here in the initial part. But so like, we're never going to know how many teachers got it for sure, or how many declined. If you want to know if your own child's teacher got it, uh, unless they un unless they disclose that information, you, you might not be able to know. Um, and so it's got some of those kind of nuts and bolts types things in the story. But I really just wanted to share people's personal stories and personal decisions, because that's what it is at the end of the day, a personal decision. Right. And, and I think kind of, the policy end of all of that first, because we don't know what's going to happen with teachers and, and staff and how and how many do opt in to the vaccine, it's going to be impossible to know for sure. It's impossible really to, to calculate that. And we already saw, you know, with K-12 teachers and staff that uh, the state was able to move them up the schedule a little bit and start the, the vaccinations for them last week because they've gotten to that point as far as how many Healthcare workers and long-term care uh, facility residents uh, took the vaccine in December and early January. So it's it's a moving target. It's a process that you know the likes of which we've never seen before. And I guess you know the other takeaway I had in the story is I, as I was reading teachers who have been through so much and working on the front lines these past few months, you know you just you know I just kind of walked away feeling well. You know, this is one of those times where you, you sort of have to trust the process a little bit. And, you know, it, you know, these teachers have been through so much. They deserve to have this place in the line uh, because they're, you know, in close contact with each other and close contact with, with children. They have, you know, more of a risk of spread than maybe uh, workers like you and I who have been able to uh, work from home uh, largely during this uh, pandemic. So you just, you know. Again, I, I'm kind of, uh, as a private citizen here, you know, going to trust the process and, and wait for my turn. 
Yeah, uh, 100% for sure. That story is up at the homepage, idahoednews.org. I just want to give a personal thank you uh, to all the teachers who connected with me this week and everybody who helped uh, put my call out uh, to connect with people and share those stories. That was a really powerful story. Uh, And just thank you so much to every teacher and every teacher's family member who helped connect with me uh, this week. The story is only as strong as its sources, and the story had some really strong sources. Yeah, thank you so much. But I do want to shift gears. Uh, second week of the legislative session, almost in the books, as we record this on Friday morning, January 22nd. Kevin, but you really took a closer look this week at an issue that we knew was going to be one of the defining issues of the session, even before it started and that's kind of the separation of powers or maybe this turf war that's kind of playing out between the legislature and the governor now that the legislature is back in town. Fill me in on the background on where this started and what's the latest that we saw this week? Because there was a lot of activity this week, Kevin. Yeah, uh, you know, the proud moment I had in this story was that I was able to uh, honestly and sincerely linked to a schoolhouse rock segment yeah. story and, and not do it in a phony way but you know that's kind of the thing is you know, separation of powers you know go back to your go back to your civics classes the three branches of government and the roles of the three branches of government uh probably seemed pretty dry and academic at the time but we're seeing this play out in very real tangible ways this legislative session and you know what I did with my analysis piece uh, was that I you know made the case that I think this is going to be the defining issue of this 2021 session I think this this tension this friction between the legislative and executive branches is going to define this session and I think it's going to set the stage even for the next round of elections you know as I wrote the story on Thursday, uh, we had at least 11 pieces of legislation that in some manner address the governor's response to the coronavirus pandemic and or the legislature's role in emergency response. And I think we're up now to more than a dozen pieces of legislation. And that's in two weeks. Yeah. And we're seeing that that is playing itself out, again, in very tangible ways. And education is right front and center in that debate because we saw a resolution uh, go through House Committee on Monday that would limit, or that would rescind yeah. limit on public gatherings, uh, the 10 person limit on most public gatherings that Governor Little imposed, uh, I think back in December, and would rescind the limits on uh, crowds at high school, uh, athletic events, which has been a moving target. The governor has moved that uh, number back uh, a couple of times, most recently uh, this week with another round of relaxed guidelines to allow more spectators. You know, that is a a really, uh, that's a real world impact of the, the, the coronavirus uh, orders and the coronavirus uh, protocols. And that's got legislators' attention, and, and it's turned this separation of powers debate into a very visceral debate. So, you know, I wanted to look at it from the, the academic perspective, from the public policy perspective, but also the political perspective, because it's all colliding right now, and I think we're just at the start of it. I mean, we saw, you saw, we were talking about it off, off air, 
the first real floor debate about any of this policy uh, when the House passed a constitutional amendment that would allow the legislature to reconvene at its own accord, as opposed to waiting on the governor and waiting for the governor to set the ground rules for a special session, you know, as we saw in August. You know, yeah, that, that was a very lengthy debate. I mean, you had uh, the better part of an hour's debate about uh, that amendment and, you know, Again, we're just getting started. We're two weeks into the session. We've got bills and resolutions all over the place on this issue. Yeah, that was a fascinating early session debate just on Thursday about the legislature calling it back into session. You had House Majority Leader Mike Moyle get up all fired up on the House floor and debate this thing. As he does from time to time. He was so fired up, he referred to Governor Little in familiar terms twice and was admonished by House Speaker Scott Bedke uh, on the floor for not following decorum. You mentioned Schoolhouse Rocks, though, at the beginning, and that's such a good resource. I was just thinking there was a legislator who should have watched that Schoolhouse Rocks video because she got up on Thursday and tried to insist that the three branches of government are not equal. And that was news to me. Uh, but maybe she should have watched that little Schoolhouse Rocks video that you embedded uh, in, in the story about it. But it's fascinating stuff. Video. It doesn't take you very long. <laughs> no, it, it sure doesn't. But fascinating stuff. Powerful, charged debate. As, per, as for the future of the uh, uh, resolution that has to do with the legislature calling itself back into session, that's going over to the Senate now. For consideration, if the Senate adopts it, you can expect to look for that on, I think, a November 2020 general election ballot as a proposed amendment to the Idaho Constitution. And so voters would have the final say. And so, I mean, you can really easily see that this is the defining, at this point, defining debate of our legislative session, but it could well continue uh, this turf war, the separation of, of powers issues could well continue all this year and into next year leading into next November's general election. I mean, th this could be a long discussion that we're it about to engage in. But, you know, first things first, as this plays itself out in the state house, one of the things that struck me as I was watching the committee hearings about various pieces of this, uh, you know, plethora of legislation on this issue I was struck by how much even the supporters, how much they don't know about the implications of uh, yeah. of, of these uh, pieces of legislation. And here we're talking about millions of dollars of FEMA money that comes into the state to help uh, local governments, help health districts respond to uh, coronavirus needs. Uh, at one point in a Senate uh, State Affairs Committee hearing on Tuesday, uh, they had uh, Brad Ritchie, who is uh, the the head of the state's emergency uh, emergency response office. Yep. And he was asked about, you know, here we go again with vaccines. He was asked about could this affect the vaccine rollout, and he said, you know, you should be concerned. And that did not stop the Senate State Affairs Committee from moving that. Uh, resolution to the Senate floor. That's one of multiple resolutions that would rescind the state's emergency declaration. And, you know, as I say, that, that 
raises a lot of questions about federal funding. That raises some questions, as uh, you know, as Brad Ritchie told senators about the vaccine rollout. I mean, you know, here we are pinning so much of our uh, our hopes for a return to normalcy on the vaccine rollout, which has already been challenged, <laughs> which has already been a difficult process in Idaho and across the nation. It's it's rolling out gradually, but certainly not as quickly as anybody uh, was hoping uh, back a couple of months ago. Yeah, lots of you know real-world policy implications uh, off of these uh, pieces of legislation. So, you know, I feel like this is hardly the last <laughs> word we're going to have about this uh, separation of powers issue. I think it's going to be something that we continue to come back to as we cover this session. Oh, and that yeah, exactly. And, and that was a good way of linking these two things together, Kevin, because that's exactly right almost being pulled in a couple of different directions when you talk about the preferred response to ending the pandemic. On the one hand, the vaccine is circulating, uh, the teachers lined up uh, to get it and are looking to get protected that way. But on the other hand, you've got folks like uh, Representative Brent Crane and some of the legislators pushing uh, the legislation either to lift the emergency declaration or to lift the group size and gathering limits, including for high school sports. And uh, I'm paraphrasing just slightly, but Representative Brent Crane stood up and said, we need to get back to normal. But his version of getting back to normal is doing away with the limits on gatherings and crowd sizes and the emergency orders, not necessarily the uh, distribute the vaccine and get shots in everybody's arms to get them protected to get back to normal. So widely different approaches and schools of thought and, and being pushed and pulled in all sorts of different directions, but it kind of all relates together, Kevin, because schools are at the nexus of this, aren't they? They, they really are. I mean, it's not just the uh, the question of uh, gatherings at uh, at athletic events. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to see legislation at some point about the authority to open and close schools and the right. role of health districts. I mean, that's been promised. Uh, legislators wanted to push that idea back in the special session in August, didn't uh, get it on the governor's agenda, so it didn't come up, but I'm sure we're gonna see legislation in that regard uh, at some point this session. You know, the vaccine rollout question, I mean, that has a real, profound impact, maybe not so much on K-12 because uh, the rollout's going on right now right. in the K-12 system, but for higher education, uh, where you have students and uh, staff both kind of far down the, the road in terms of uh, the state's priority list for, for vaccines, you know, if there is a delay in the vaccine rollout statewide, that's going to have a very... Uh, direct impact on college campuses and university campuses. So there are a lot of education implications for this, a lot of political implications, as we, as we mentioned. I think, yeah. and it's always interesting when we have this kind of, you know, I just want to segue to the, the politics. Yeah. Real quickly. It's always really interesting when you have this debate within the Republican Party. And we see it you know, every year. But I think this one's really interesting because I think for some Republicans in the legislature, this may not necessarily be a reflection on on Brad Little. This may not necessarily be an indictment of Brad Little. It may be, I think for some legislators, they have been concerned about this uh, separation of powers issue for a while, and now it's just come to the fore. But, you know, 
you don't have to look too far for legislators who are openly critical of the governor and openly critical of his decisions. I mean, I mean, people have used Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, his frustration was was palpable as I was watching the stream on Monday. You know, and he made it clear that he was not happy that the governor's office and the state board wasn't at the hearing talking about their their policies on athletic events. And he was very, you know, you know, he pulled the curtain back a little bit and said, yes, this is designed to put pressure on the governor and the state board to get them to the table. Well, certainly it seemed to have worked because within a couple of days, uh, the governor was relaxing the, uh, you know, the attendance require uh, the attendance uh, thresholds for athletic events. So, you know, I think there's some real frustration and some real tension within the Republican Party. And, you know, we see that unfold every legislative session. And this one is not going to be any exception. Oh, there's high emotions, right? I mean, like, we've even heard a couple of the really conservative legislators over the summer compare the governor to a Nazi. And it's like, well, hold on here. Um, so obviously, um, high emotions uh, in some of these debates. Uh, but yeah, so some of the legislators are all over the place. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, that really kind of puts it together and shows that it's a political debate, but there's real world implications. Education's right in the center of it. But for me, this week, Kevin was really, for as much happened this week, it was really kind of ratcheting up the tension and setting the table for more of what's going to come the rest of the session. Cause we're really off and running at this point, aren't we? we? We really are. And, you know, looking ahead to next week, next week is education week at the legislature. So we'll have the, uh, the college and university presidents before JFAC making their, their budget presentations. Those are always interesting. And I'll be interested to see we've got some new faces on JFAC, including some, a couple of really hardline conservatives. I wonder if we're going to see any kind of, kind of pushback within those hearings uh, as the university presidents and, and college presidents make their case. Uh, State Superintendent Cherry Barra will be up on Thursday morning. We'll have full coverage of that. So, you know, a full week ahead at the legislature. I mean, Education Week is always uh, a busy one for us. And, uh, you know, it's just a sign that uh, the session is is ramping up rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. And we've heard from legislators leading into the session and during the first week of the session, legislators are looking to, some legislators, I should say, are looking to scrutinize education spending. Uh, and so JFAC, that's that Joint Finance Appropriations Committee uh, that's going to be hosting Education Week, that's going to be, as always, a, a committee to really watch over the next several weeks. And we will. And watch we will. We will be there uh, virtually, but we'll, we'll be there I plan to be there pretty much nonstop next week as uh, as we get the uh, the higher education and the K twelve budget requests. Yep, absolutely. There's a lot to get to this week, and there's still more. Just really quickly, um, you know, we won't go into the stories in detail, but there's a lot more on our website. A, a lot more happened this week. Uh, we got some graduation numbers, some graduation uh, rates uh, reported to us late last week. Those numbers are up and. Uh, they're up on our website, but they're also up a little bit. We've seen an improvement in grad rates. You can get the breakdown on that. Um, just a quick plug, uh, Devin Bodkin and his weekly weekly blog about the uh, you know, life with kids and life uh, with, with school-age kids in the pandemic. Uh, another really, really charming story this week. 
if you want to check that out. Just a lot of good stuff on the website, so I hope you'll uh, take some time to peruse what we've got and browse around. Yep, some local policy decisions that we covered, or some local leadership changes, really. West Ada uh, School District, the state's largest school district, appointed a new school board member, I believe they're up at full strength, Rusty Kofelt, uh, former Eagle Fire Chief, I was appointed to West Ada's school board. Also this week, the uh, Blaine County School District uh, appointed a new superintendent, Jim Foudy, who has mm-hmm. been serving as superintendent of the McCall Donnelly School District, was named the next superintendent of Blaine County Schools. Sammy Edge uh, had coverage of that Thursday night into Friday morning. Uh, so we've got a mix of statewide coverage, the vaccine coverage, as well as some local coverage uh, for some of the local districts that are filling out uh, their leadership ranks and, and positions. So all kinds of stuff all over the board this week, but the best place to get caught up is just that homepage, idahoednews.org. If you're not already, uh, you can subscribe to our Friday newsletter and get all these top stories in your inbox every Friday morning. Um, there's an orange box at the very top of the homepage that says, Get Ed News in your inbox. Click on there, enter your email address, and we'll send you our Friday newsletter with the week's top stories. We've also been sending out kind of individual story bulletins through the throughout the week to our email subscribers when we have kind of a top story breaking news type developed story. So several options uh, to stay in touch with us this year as the policy debates really, really heat up right now. Mm-hmm. All right. Heat up very well. I mean, next week's going to be a full week. Uh, we'll be back here next Friday to, to pull it all together and wrap it all up. Absolutely. We will be back next Friday for another brand new edition of the Extra Credit Podcast. Keep in touch with us on the homepage. Uh, you can give us a like on Facebook or follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter. But yeah, as always, thanks so much, Kevin, and I really appreciate it. But uh, I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe and have a good week.